Kevin Eldon. Hello, uh, good afternoon to you and to the listeners, all of them, wherever they are, except the evil ones. We're here to talk about stuff that you're doing at the Greenwich Comedy Festival. Yeah. People don't really know you from doing stand-up, but you started out doing stand-up, didn't you? I, I left drama school and uh, for about three years just stood in morosely in long queues for jobs that I didn't really want. It was pretty uh, disheartening. And then I did stand-up. And I had a little bit of an aborted attempt first. I mean, when I first did it, I fancied myself as a, <laughs> along the Ben Elton line of sort of Thatcher bashing political stuff. It was really very poor. And uh, so I gave up for a bit. And then I came up with a character. So I started uh, doing that, really. And then I did stand up non-stop for about five years and started earning money from it and started having fun. And was this all with the same character? I'm briefly interrupting to let you know that I'm Marsha from YesYesMarsha.com and this is from a series of interviews that I did from 2009 to 2011 called Marsha Meets, which were long-form interviews with stand-up comedians that eventually inspired the book Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. That book's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. Back to the interview. And was this all with the same character? No, it, well, it started for a while it went with a character. It was very much an early 90s type character, i.e. an anoraki type thing. I used to get myself into quite a state to do it, actually. I was a bit method with it. So I would put on these same filthy clothes. It's really not funny in retrospect. And I had a horrible face. And several venues, uh, I was told to come away from the stage by security, you know. And I'd say, no, I'm in character, darling. I'm about to go on. What was the character? Uh, the character was called Kevin Boyle. <laughs> I was walking down the road the other day. That kind of about sums up the character. It sounds really funny, doesn't it? And uh, I came runner-up in the um, New Act of the Year Award 91 or something. And then there was a now famous, brilliant uh, diamond on the belt of comedy, television-wise, called Packing Them In, which I did. <laughs> which was Jenny Eclair. Yeah, and Frank Skinner. We're still waiting to hear about the third series of that. And we did that then, but uh, I very quickly got bored of doing that character, so I did uh, myself for a bit. But as soon as I started doing stand-up, I did love it. I loved the comradeship and all the brilliant other comics, many of whom are still pals and always will be, you know. What I found was the difference is, it's a big difference between uh, hanging around with actors and hanging around with stand-ups. With actors, they naturally have to be competitive and looking after their own little area because there aren't enough jobs to go around. But with stand-up, there was always, by and large, a real feeling of solidarity, facing a common foe, and it was that audience. So really deep friendships, really. So I'd still do stand-up whenever I can because I miss doing it. But I must admit, I did give up doing it as soon as I could because I was always nervous doing it. I'd be one of those people who would wake up on the day of a gig and just be jittery all day till it was over. Whereas I know a proper stand-up can just concentrate on the rest of his life and then ten minutes before it goes on, it's sickening. Just get into the zone and go on and be brilliant. It's like Bill Bailey is the biggest example. Bill's a good pal. And his home life is just so hectic and busy and just does so much stuff during the day. Driving around here, dropping the kids off, mucking out the chameleons, whatever it is. And then at the end of that, he'll go and do a two-hour gig brilliantly. I just think, how do you do it? <laughs> it's just a natural talent. While you were on the circuit, you met Stuart Lee. Yes, I met Stu. And he got you involved in Liam Herring's Fist of Fun, which was initially a radio show 
yeah. on Radio 1. Radio 1, yeah. And so you went and did that and then went on to do the TV show yeah. that they did. We had Richard Herring on the podcast a couple of weeks ago yeah. and I was saying that at the time that was kind of one of the first comedy things really that I'd seen and that I fell in love with and it felt like such a huge deal to us at the time but he was saying it kind of didn't really to you guys. Well, I suppose maybe uh, just in the middle of it, doing it, it's a bit hard to stand back and get an objective view of it. But I must say that I do meet lots of people who uh, used to watch it and did really enjoy it. That's really nice to know that people did enjoy it. I still remember the time when Stu suggested... I'd done a gig with him where it was miles away and was staying over at his place. And he was going, oh, we've got a show, with doing this thing with uh, Richard, and we've got this show. We can't get any actor to go all the way down to Exeter for 120 quid. And I put my hand up. And he said, oh, would you do it? I said, of course I would. And that's, you know, just so that's how that started, really. But then it went to telly, and yeah, I thought it was all right. It was always really good fun, really good fun, because they gave me great characters to play, and uh, they were so easy going to work with. So it was nothing but pleasure. You then went on to do Blue Jam with Chris Morris, which was the Radio 1 series that then eventually turned into the TV series of Jam, which was amazing, really dark. I didn't recommend my mum watch it. Did you get into trouble with any family members? No, you know, I've got a feeling that possibly some uncles and aunties switched on and it made them feel sick and then they just kept it as a deep, dark family secret. Have you seen that thing he's in? <laughs> I can imagine it. But yeah, there was some pretty shocking stuff in Jam. But it, it's very good fun to do. And then going on from that to do Brass Eye. I which... think it was the other way around, really. I mean, Brass Eye was about 95, 96, I think, yeah. And then Blue Jam was about 99. And then we did the Tony series about a year or two years later. Oh, OK. Was it with Brass Eye? Again, I remember sitting around watching the paedophile episode and thinking, this is amazing. Yeah. This is not going to go down very well. Yeah. With all the controversy, did you get in trouble? Did you kind of get any stuff directed at you for that? Uh, well, the paedophile special one was some years later than the main Brass Eye series. I think it was 2000. And Rebecca, whatever her name is, who's the editor of whatever rag it is she edits, they put out are they supposedly named and shamed us they went hysterical about it said they are responsible for this program so they printed the cast names and the producers names said these are the people that brought you this and it was the program was about media hysteria and a lack of reason on this thing and just screaming peasants with burning brands and she went and did exactly what the program was about which was hilarious did you get any hate mail from some readers i think chris was stalked by some evil paparazzi at his home for a bit but I don't think anybody did. I don't know if there were complaints, but, I mean, you know, there were members of the Cabinet going on morning television and decrying the programme and then being asked if they'd seen it. They were going, oh, I haven't actually seen it. And you go, well, come on. Watch it first before you start whining. Do you think that you wouldn't be able to get away with that kind of thing now, with everyone being so careful? Mm, possibly not. But I wonder. I wonder if you could. But, I mean, it's Chris, and the thought behind that programme was impeccable. It was a well-motivated programme to expose a really silly frame of mind. And it was quite a brave thing to do, actually. It's very funny. And for the right reasons as well. It's about hysteria. They're missing the whole point about it. It's people saying, how can you laugh at paedophilia? It wasn't laughing at it. It was laughing at attitudes towards it. And there was quite a major difference there. And so after that, you were in Black Books, yeah. briefly, as a cleaner. Yeah. Working with Graham Linham in that one. Yeah, it was with Graham, yeah, because Graham was co-writing, I think, on that first series I think it was yes I remember I did audition for that one and I remember I got it because everyone else put a slightly camp edge to the cleaner 
and I went for sinister rather than camp, and I think that clinched it. But that was very good fun too. That was a good series, that, and they're all very good in that as well. Bill's in it, and Dylan and Tamsin. You know, I think that first series particularly was was knockout. And then you worked with Graham Linham again on Big Train. Did you? Yeah, Big he... Train was ninety eight, and he was co-writing with Arthur Matthews, and they, you know, they'd not long done Father Ted, and it was Graham's first directing job as well. He did a great job. He was really learning on the job. Uh, he, he did such a good job with it. It's a really fantastic series. It's something that I only encountered relatively recently. Yeah. It seems interesting to me that now it's something that people are kind of picking up on, but it didn't make that much of a splash at it the didn't. time. It didn't, and I've only seen it once when it came out. I've never watched it again, and people do refer to it a lot when they say oh, hello or something like that. So people seem to like it, and I think it's got a lot more exposure due to YouTube. I think most of the sketches are on YouTube, that's where people see them, so a lot more people have seen it since it first came out, because it didn't make that big a splash when it came out, it was kind of, it's alright, but it was largely left. I think it's probably one of these things, like Fist of Fun and other things that you've done, that somehow the people that it affects, it really affects it burrows into yeah. people's consciousnesses. Yeah, I think it may be because of that thing about you know it's not being overlooked by people who don't really know about comedy. They come from times when people who were doing the comedy were left to do the comedy, <laughs> which they do best, and risks were taken and people were just writing what came out of their heart rather than to any ratings, demands or any of that formulaic stuff, which can be so tedious. Probably something that would fall into a similar mould is the thing that you did with Simon Munnery, Attention Scum, yeah. which had Johnny Vegas and yeah. Catherine Tate in it. It was on BBC Two and it got nominated for like a Golden Rose of Montreux. It did, and I think the head of BBC Two at the time saw the first episode and then cancelled any further. She said, that must never be made again. It was hilarious. And then it went on to win a prize, which was funny. Do you want to just explain what it was, in case someone didn't see it? Simon Munnery, who's a great comedian, and it was his uber-strong character. Very, very high status. I do not speak like y'all, because I am not like y'all. It used to just make me laugh so much. And so with very little true organisation... We just went on the road with these odd sketches and him taking a sort of camper van which turned into a ship and doing stand-up gigs in car parks to about 12 people. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would get made today. And then cutting it in between with these sketches, the budget was nothing. We were making the props on the day with the catering people and the driver and the producer... It was very much do-it-yourself. That was what was lovely about it. Yeah. Bring your own costume. Is there a script? No, we'll just muck about, run around for a bit. <laughs> it was good. And Stuart Lee, poor Stuart, had the unfortunate job of trying to direct and produce this ill-organised thing, which was still funny, but it must have been like herding cats for him, poor man. On the other end of the spectrum, from that kind of thing, you did a film, your first... You've done a few films, but the first one, High Heels and Low Lives. You did that, yeah. Which was directed by Mel Smith. By Big Mel, yeah. And has Mini Driver in it. Yeah. How was that, from having gone from something where you're making the props of the catering staff to... Well, yeah, it's a bit of a leap. Films, it's very exciting doing a film. You're suddenly aware that it's another area, it's another league doesn't necessarily mean it's better, I don't think. But everything's so slick and professionally run. 
and uh, there are whole teams of experts working to precise timings and all that kind of thing. It was good working with Mark Williams, who was the it was I was a copper with him in it, and so that was fun. I, I don't think it's probably the funniest film in the world, but we had fun doing it. It's a romp. It's a British romp. Yeah. <laughs> well, then other films that you've done since then, you remember uh, the Tim Burton Willy Wonka? Five, I think five and a half seconds. <laughs> but I remember seeing you and getting quite excited when yeah. you said of that. And then in Hot Fuzz. In Hot Fuzz, yeah. Doing the Willy Wonka thing was that the big Hollywood machine? That was, because we went onto this set and it was about half a mile square and there were buildings in it, there were shops all made up and you'd think it was real and there was false snow all over the studio lot and even though it was a warm September you actually started feeling cold. I've never seen such a massive set, it was just surreal. I mean, the main factory that Willy Wonka's factory, it was about 50 foot tall. You just thought, the money that's gone into this... And all quite nerve-wracking, really. I remember he... uh, Who was it who directed it again? It was Tim Burton. Oh, yeah, him, remember. We had to do the thing where he called action, and I thought we'd got separate action from all the uh, extras. And I only had to walk along and say this one line. And he had to go about three times, because I just stood there waiting for the next action. And he was just thinking, what must he think? But for that one line that we had each, I believe about 50 people were seen. And then you had to get auditioned for it. And then apparently he saw somebody sent him big train and he liked that. So he said, oh, yeah, I'll have them. I'll have them in my next film, he said, as a result of saying that. But we're still waiting to hear. Come on, Tim. For that one line, what was your audition? Do you just have to audition the line? Me and Mark had to go in together and walk along and say that line like that. I think there was um, one of the actresses, kids, one of the kids who was an actor, the mother was there, was a quite conservative American southern state woman and took the child off the set because uh, those characters are obviously homosexuals. The characters are obviously homosexual. Oh, I'm enlightened. Did you get to go and snoop around all the chocolate factory? So we had a look. I mean, you would go down a street and you would see what looked like a street that was 200 yards long, in fact, was ending in a screen about 50 yards down where the rest of the street was painted on to give it a feeling of depth. And half of the back end of a car would be three foot above on one of the screens, so it looked as if it was down the road. It was just mind-blowing. And then Hot Fuzz, presumably a bit of a different experience. I mean, that was so lovely. Everybody got on really well. We had such fun, and it was down in Wells for a lot of the film. And just, it was so nice, you know. I mean, it was like working with pals with Simon and Nick, which is always very good, and Adam Buxton, and and then Jim Broadbent and people like this, and Timothy Dalton, who were just great. It was just really good fun working with them. You just kept pinching yourself, going, ah, it's him, look, sitting having a pint with them. Very, very good. And Wells was gorgeous. And when I got down there, it was the start of a beautiful load of sunshine. And poor old Edgar had been standing around, rained off for weeks. They'd got really behind time. Very stressful. Just couldn't do anything. It was just driving rain. But no, that was very good fun, that film. It was just every day was a joy to do. Very lucky. Or maybe good. Yeah. Well, luckily good. Back to the British TV stuff. Nighty Night, Julia Davis's yes. show, which has done incredibly well. Yeah. Won tons of awards, been nominated for BAFTAs, and which I know you've been vocal about having really loved working on. Yeah. Well, I just love Julia because she's a very good pal, and we get on, so it was very good working with her, and I think she's so talented. And that was a great bit of writing. It was, again, fun to do. I mean, it's, it's so good to do jobs that you really want to, which is, and get spoilt by that, you see. But, but is it the case now where you can totally pick and choose? Or, I mean, have you been lucky in that you've kind of backed stuff that has ended up being really good? Well, I've been lucky. But, I mean, it means, though, that I've been spoilt. It's actually quiet now at the moment. Things are quiet. 
get into a moany old thesp situation. What's happening, darling? Not much. It's all that weeping into your beer type thing. But at the same time, because I have been spoilt, I do get stuff and I just can't, I can't bring myself to do it if I don't think it's funny. Because there's some good stuff about, but every now and then you do get some shocking stuff through and you think, well, could do it for the dosh or something. But bad comedy to me is it just upsets me. It makes me angry and it depresses me. And I just think, I can't do that. But I am. I've been spoilt and I'd rather just do something that I really want to do or if it's with somebody that I like is the best scenario, really. Is there ever anything that you've turned down that then has gone on to be big or gone on and you've thought... Mm. There was a Radio 4 comedy series called something like Mags and Fags and something like that. I can't remember. It's set in an Asian corner store. And I read the script and I think I usually can tell on a script if it's going to be okay or not. And I completely miss... I didn't get that because I heard it on the radio later. I thought, oh, it's really funny. I was kicking myself because I turned down uh, doing a part in it. So oh, well, apparently, going back to 99, they're making an American version. Are they? I bet they spoil it. That Steve Coogan is involved in. Oh, is he? Apparently. All oh, right. They will They'll never go. They won't buy the gross-out element in it. The things in the 99 that just the cruelty sometimes and how bleak it is. I mean, Julia is just the sweetest woman you could ever meet. She has not a malicious bone in her body. And you just think, where's all this stuff come from? Because she is, she's so lovely. Just think, you're lovely. How can you think such horrible things? I wonder what they'll do. I mean, maybe it'll be great. Has there ever been something that's been British the, first and the then gone on to? Oh, yes, that was all right, wasn't it? And I believe uh, Sanford and Son, which was the version of Steptoe and Son, wasn't too bad as well. OK, so all of that stuff, other TV things. You did another big series with Nick Frost, Hyperdrive, yeah. on BBC Two. Yeah, um, we did that. It was great to work with Nick. Love working with Nick. And also John Henderson, who's a very good director and lovely bloke to work with. That was very good fun. And I met my girlfriend on it as well. Oh, did and you really? paid well, so there you go. <laughs> so it was a, yeah, good experience. That was the dream one. And then you did one of the most favourite things I've ever seen on TV in my entire life, Dead Set. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which was Charlie Brooker's Zombies in the Big Brother house. Yeah, good idea, isn't it? That's a good premise. I mean, you can imagine just going along, right, Big Brother Zombies. We'll take that. And you played one of the Big Brother contestants. Internees, yes. A sort of older, slightly intellectual, yes. slightly outcast of the group. Apparently he was based on a real one. There was. I don't watch it. I can't bear it. I don't like bile coming out of me, um, so I don't watch it. But uh, there was apparently... Yes, so a guy who reckons he can go on and play the game to his own rules and show it up and all that, which you just can't. You can't do it. Did you watch any episodes in the prep of it? Well, yeah, I had to watch a little bit to uh, see what was going on there. But, I mean, not much, because it just makes me cross. I kind of know what goes on there. I watched the first series when it came out, and I watched the first celeb one, I think, with Jack D. So just, like, how miserable Jack was in it. It was funny. But that was, again, that was fun. It was quite hard going. In today's climate, obviously, making a small movie on a very low budget. So there was a lot to do every single day. And it was a hard grind. We had to get a lot done every day. And there were a lot of special effects and a lot of extras. And so it was busy, busy, busy. I mean, it's the crew I felt sorry for. They were there for 10 weeks, 11, 12 weeks. I just went in for a do my bit in a month. But they had that slog and it must have been very tiring. They did a great job. It was an amazing series. Yeah. It was very convincing. Yeah. I think, I mean, zombie films have always actually scared me. I can have nightmares about zombies. The concept of a zombie terrifies me. I thought, well, OK, if I do this, the gradual exposure method, 
I might actually cure myself of this phobia now. Especially when there was a scene where I was run after by 50 zombies and then eaten and pulled apart. I thought, well, that'll kill or cure. It still scares me a bit. I've actually found it a bit scary watching it. You know, I would have thought if you've been in something, you know what's gone into it, so you're not going to be scared, but... I mean, the special effects and all that, it's pretty gruesome. But maybe it's more scary because then you can, like, visualise it actually happening to you. Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Do you think you'd be any good in Zombie Armageddon if you were holed up somewhere? Have you got any good special skills? Well, I don't know. I just want a cyanide pill. That's all I'd be concerned about, so that if they came for me, then I'd know at least I could die before they get my eyes. But that was... The most horrible thing was putting the uh, contact lenses in. There was a couple of the main actors and actresses and... They were zombies early on in the story, so every scene they were in, they were all zombied up. And those contact lenses are so uncomfortable. Are they? They're really freaky to put them in, didn't like it at all. But I guess, would I be good in a zombie? I don't know, you don't know until you're in Zombiegeddon whether you're going to be just useless or you're just going to be good at slicing their heads off. But I suppose the character I was playing, Joplin, he was just one of those people that you do get all swagger and has a self-image of somebody who's really cool and intelligent, but he's actually neither... And when the crunch comes, flakiness wins through. So there's been a lot of other telly bits that we haven't mentioned. There's been tons. But Stuart Lee's comedy vehicle mm-hmm. was the one that you featured in a lot recently, which was a really great series. And something that a lot of people have been saying about it is that with stand-up, I think a lot of the general public don't necessarily know about stand-up. They think it's, you know, Russell Howard at Wembley Stadium or nothing. And something that a lot of people have been saying about Stuart Lee's programme is that it's a good way of saying to the general public, look, there's comedy there that isn't just sitcom or Jimmy Carr. There's an in-between to it. That's why I was quite surprised when it got a series, because you can't help but get a bit cynical. But we did the pilot, and I thought, right, OK, A, most of the people in this are over 40. B, this is intelligent comedy. And C, I mean, really isn't afraid to do the slow burn. I'm just thinking, we're not going to get a series. And God bless the BBC, they gave him a series. And, uh, I mean, you know, it's like any good thing, I think. It absolutely splits people down the middle. People either infuriate, Stu's stuff infuriates some people. What is this? What is he droning on about? And other people, the right ones, just are delighted at um, the conceits he plays and the intelligence and the perspective and... He's a brilliant stand-up comedian. He's so funny. And so it was a relief to get that series. Don't know if we've got a second one. I hope we do have, because uh, he knows what were the strong points and maybe not so strong points. And if we've got another series, it'll be bang on. But it was, again, fun to do. You've worked on so many great shows. Like, so, if someone were to list best British comedy shows of the last however many years, you seem to have been in the vast majority of them. But always um, they're either acting in them or... Mm being a bit on someone else's show. Do you have any urge to do stuff with vehicles just for yourself? Well, it's it's so lazy. It's laziness, absolute laziness. I mean, things are quiet at the moment as far as acting is concerned, but these days I think, well, that's good because it really does. I've decided, I turned over a new leaf this year, which is get writing. And I've got about three things now that I'm going through with my own character and a couple of other things as well. And so I am. I'm going to go for more of my own type stuff. But obviously you have to walk the walk and actually produce the scripts first. But it necessarily takes a long time. Radio and TV, it's such a glacial process. But you have to just stick with it, really. So, yes, in the future, and there shall be some stuff on, I, I think. Are there any of the characters that you've played? Do you have any favourites among them? Do you have any that you'd love to go and revisit? Mm, not really, because I, when I've done it, I've done it, really. So I always like to do new stuff, apart from a stand-up character, which I have actually been doing for about 
15 years. Is this the character that you're going to be doing at the Greenwich Comedy Festival? Yes. And this is Paul Hamilton. Paul Hamilton, uh, the poet. Who, in fact, you had a Radio 4 special with him, didn't you? Yeah. And uh, a thing on Resonance FM. Yeah. And then also, was there a Channel 4 thing? Yeah, I did a little comedy lab, about half an hour, I think. But I started doing it in Club Zarathustra which was with Simon Munnery. And we used to do a weekly show down in Islington somewhere. And he always had to come up with a new five, ten minutes every week. And it was really difficult. But one afternoon, was come up, well, I'll do some poetry. And just wrote most of the poems in about two weeks. And I found it really hard to write new ones since then. They all just came spilling out. Because they've got, they're kind of, they're not, they're bad, but they're not obvious bad. They're almost good. And that's what they've got to be. They've got to be almost good. <laughs> and uh, you can't just do bad poetry because that's too easy. Anyone could do a bad poetry. So I've written about three new ones in the last five years because I've tried doing ones that are just bad, bad, and it just feels like cheating. Well, maybe now you've got this time in your hands. Do you think you'll... Well, you can't hands? force them out, strangely enough. I sit there and squeezing my head and they won't come out. They come unbidden to me from the land of Hamilton, wherever that is. Silly arse street. So you'll be doing him at the Greenwich Comedy Festival. I will be doing him. And the night that you're on, you're also there with Dan Atkinson, Mm -hmm. Phil Nickel and Tommy Tiernan. Yes. And that's the 10th of September at the Royal Naval College. At the Royal Naval College, yes, down in Greenwich. And I had only just looked at who was on at the festival, and it really is uh, worth investing your visitorship, listeners, as it's on from the 7th to the 13th of September, and a few names here. I've got Shappy Corsandi, Phil Kay, Rich Hall, hey fella, Russell Howard, Rob Newman, Joe Brand, Adam Buxton, Ardell O'Hanlon, David O'Doherty, John Hegley, Mark Thomas. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant stuff. There's something there for everyone. So please go to all of them if you can and take your friends. So that's the 7th to the 13th in various venues around Greenwich, but you'll be playing on the 10th. Yeah. Kevin Eldon, thanks so much for coming It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening. If you like that, you'll probably love the book that I put together with Deborah Francis White called Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. So asking them things like, what's your writing process? How do you find your voice? What do you think about touring? How do you deal with hecklers? We interviewed 42 stand-ups, including Eddie Izzard, Sarah Millican, Phil Jupiter, Stuart Lee, Mark Maron. It's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. If you want to find out more, go to Yes Yes Marsha.com forward slash off the mic.